Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm happy you could join me for this episode today. I am your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today's episode is about dating, and I am joined by Lisa Anderson from Boundless. Lisa and I, in this conversation, talk about reasons why we might still be single and patterns that might be keeping us from meeting the kind of person that we really want to meet. I know a lot of us deal regularly with feelings we'd rather not have, feelings like loneliness, anxiety, rejection, anger, and depression. The ways we've learned to cope with these emotions and with our triggers can help us survive but they can also eventually keep us stuck in patterns that cause us to feel overwhelmed and threaten our well-being and our relationships, especially when it comes to our kids. Over at plusoneparents.org slash quiz, you can take the what's your stress style quiz and learn more about how your coping strategies might actually be holding you back, but how you can also make changes that will get you moving forward. That quiz again is at plusoneparents.org slash quiz. Something I think is really wonderful about Lisa's approach to this is the understanding that we have to first be willing to admit to ourselves that we want to be married. And that changes things for us because then it changes the way that we relate to God and that we invite other people into this conversation because we know exactly what it is that we're seeking. Here is my conversation with Lisa Anderson. Lisa, I'm excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. It is so great to be here, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Lisa, this area of dating, I feel like is something a lot of us are trying to wrap our heads around and we're trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how to do it well. Something I really love about your approach is that you start us in the place of first admitting that we even want to be married in the first place. (laughs) Why do you think that that is so important? You know, it's funny because I often, you know, half jokingly tell people when I say this um, that I wish I could go into the Bible and look for first and second dating and just get all the information that I need of exactly how God wants us to date and what that construct looks like. But the fact is, it's not there. So we have to use principles in scripture. And so I often like to say, I mean, the whole the whole purpose of dating, hopefully, especially for the Christian single is to move toward marriage. I mean, otherwise, we're just in some weird vortex of ambiguity that never goes anywhere. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if any of you have been a poor dater, like I have been in my past, uh, you know that you can get into these weird pseudo relationships and hangouts and all that kind of stuff. And so I like to say, you know, be okay with the fact that you desire marriage. It's a good thing. It is a, you know, the Bible begins with marriage. It ends with marriage. There's a lot of marriage in between. Marriage is a good thing. In fact, um, Hebrews 13, four says marriage is to be honored by all. And that includes us single women. And so what does it look like for us to hold that well as single women, as well as those who are hopeful for marriage, if it's what God has for us. And so I like to say that just, you know, dating with the purpose of marriage and with that as your end goal is going to save you a world of hurt because it's going to put you on a timeline and a trajectory that has intention rather than just allowing yourself to become prey to a lot of unhealthiness and dysfunction in a relationship. I love the permission that you give in that though, because it sometimes can seem perhaps that it is unholy or it is not a noble pursuit to want to be married, that no, we should just be okay, single as we are, and not ever really think about it. And I think we have to really analyze how how much perhaps, like what's the priority we give those feelings in our lives, right? But I think 
being able to say, no, this, this is a desire and I can accept myself and say that this is a, this is an okay thing for me to have interest in. I think that that's really important for us to then step forward in the right direction because it changes the way that we see things, how we spend our time, as you mentioned, when it comes to dating, it changes the way that we have conversations with the people around us. And if we're not first okay with that desire, then it's going to come across in the way that we communicate with other people. Well, absolutely. And I, I obviously, I mean, as a single woman, I want to honor singleness as well and never make any woman think that being single is a second class status because mm-hmm. it's not. And we can talk about that later. But at the same time, when did we get into this ridiculousness of everywhere else in our life, whether it's our job, whether it's some kind of personal growth issue or whatever, we're all about getting the help of friends and family for that. Like, hey, mm-hmm. can you help me network? Can you put the word out? But then when it comes to finding a mate and, and really moving into a God-honoring relationship, all of a sudden we just hole up by ourselves and say like, oh no, don't interfere in my love life. You know, don't, don't tell me what to do. And I'm like, my goodness, put it out there and be the person mm-hmm. who's like, I would love to get married if that's God's plan for me, because it is for most, for 85% of the people that, you know, we're going to be married at some point mm-hmm. in our lives. And so be okay with that, with the desire. It's a God-given one. Where do you think that comes from as far as that separation between I will network and do all kinds of things when it comes to perhaps building up like a business or making great friendships. But then when it comes to this area of our lives, why do we treat it differently? Yeah, I think we, I think it's seeded out of a sense of shame in that if we're women who are worth pursuing and worth marrying, then it should just be easy and assumptive, you know, and that's what we've been promised in all the 1980s and 90s rom-coms. Something's going to work out within 90 minutes. We're going to lock eyes across a Starbucks. You know, it's going to be even in conversations with well-meaning people like my own mom, you know, when I've talked to her about my singleness and she's now with Jesus, but I remember her telling me, Lisa, it shouldn't be this hard. I mean, she met my dad at a Christian college, stalked him at a few basketball games, went to a senior banquet and got married. And so for her, it was easy, but it's not just like this idea of like, oh, someone's going to find you or you're going to be pursued you know, easily by a number of men. That's not necessarily the case because there's a lot of fear and brokenness around relationships nowadays. And so I think we need to be okay with the fact that You know, it really does, in that sense, take a village on all fronts for us to move forward healthily, kind of to guard against not only bad relationships, but even ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) and our own assumptions and our own issues. Yeah, I think looking at this as networking, too, is something that makes it like it just takes the pressure way down, because especially if you just think about it. Maybe, you know, back in the high school, college time, you know, you were around a lot of people who were of similar goals, directions in their lives, similar age. And so it was easy, more or less, to maybe just be kind of running in the same circles as people that would be dateable and potentially marryable. But as you get older, that all starts to fracture and separate. And so to be able to locate, you don't need to have a whole big pool of them, but you need to be able to find at least one, right? So in order to find that one, though, it's going to take some networking and who do you know? And if we're only relying on our old resource, our own resources, then we're kind of selling ourselves short. Well, absolutely. And that's why I always say, like when I speak to say Christian college age women, I always say, look around you because you will never be in a spot with more like-minded headed in the same direction, generally have their heads on straight young adults and men, single men, than you have right now. Because as soon as you graduate and that unique community is fractured, you'll find yourself, you know, you're going to be maybe in a small group at church or you'll find yourself in a situation at work or whatever. And it's not that God can't work within that, but uh, definitely this is why we have to have as many eyes and ears open on our behalf as we can. That's right. It's just multiplying ourselves, right? (laughs) It's taking our one effort and making it something that just spans a greater distance. Yeah. And that, that's why I say, you know, it's, it's so unfortunate that we have lost uh, what we saw, you know, and maybe still see a little bit in certain cultures, like maybe the Jewish culture or the Indian culture, where they're still all about, like, let's get families involved and let's get, I mean, 
who mm. better to help you find a great match than the people who know and love you best? And so, I mean, the fact that they have your best interests at heart, the fact that they want what's good for you, uh, the fact that they're willing to maybe speak some truth to you and, and help you keep objective in the situation, we need all the help we can get on that front. Absolutely. Jonathan Pakluda says, uh, friends don't let friends date strangers. And I think that that is so important, especially as we're considering things in our lives like our faith journeys and raising our children, that we want people that are going to be aligned with us. And that is so much easier to determine when there's someone who can vouch for this other person, rather than perhaps it being somebody that you met online or randomly out in public, not saying that it can't work. But when I think about just my experiences and how much anxiety online dating has caused me, I would so much rather meet somebody that someone else can say, yeah, he's a good one. Absolutely. I mean, it just, it makes such a difference. And even, I mean, on on the front end, when you're choosing a person to date, and then as you're in the relationship, just having that, that team around you that can be those objective eyes and ears and can be the people that are like, Hey, we're seeing some red flags here, whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause I always say, you know, and, and this is like, Michelle, this is where I tell on myself because, you know, for anyone that's taken, um, the MBTI, the (laughs) Myers-Briggs type indicator, Mm -hmm. I am in in thinking and feeling on that. My T is off the charts. I'm an uber thinker. So of course, naturally, I would think I'm going to remain cool-headed. I'm going to know what's what. I'm going to be very objective in this. Oh, no. No, I've (laughs) dated guys and just completely lost my mind Mm. and been a complete weirdo and making way you know, way too many chances, way too many, just gotten into some messes. And Mm. so having those friends who maybe on a couple of occasions actually staged a couple of interventions for me, uh, let's be honest, was so necessary because we just, all of a sudden we start making excuses. Well, you don't know him like I know him. Don't worry. That's because of this. You know, this is, well, it's okay. We've talked about that, whatever. No, you need people who are like, not emotionally invested to be like, no, we've got eyes on this and this is not, not okay. So very Mm -hmm. helpful on that front. Yeah. And I think it's important that you, you even brought in culture here though, that there are some cultures where this type of involvement is expected. It's normal. So I want to get your thoughts on that though. Why do you think in Christian church culture, that is not the case? Yeah, I think in some cases it's born out of like if you think of the average pastoral staff in a church, say, most of them are married, most of them probably married young. And so the pastors that I've talked to, for example, like they don't want to touch singleness and dating with a 10 foot pole. They would rather have someone like me come and talk to their people and be like, please tell our singles about singleness and dating because they're just afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's much easier. I mean, we know that so many churches are programmed for marriages and for families and all of that. And uh, it's very difficult to get people who are like, okay, let's dig into this. This is my calling. This is my passion. I want to help people who are single or single again, whatever their stories may be. So I think there's kind of that awkwardness that plays into it in part. And then I think too, there's also, you know, none of them for good reason want to make uh, the single folks in their congregation feel less than. And so they want them to be included. They want them to jump in and participate, but they don't exactly know how to make that call for that to happen without making it seem like, which can be the case. I've been in churches where it's like, well, let's take all of our single people because clearly they don't have much going on. So they're going to be our workhorses for XYZ ministry. And Mm -hmm. even, even, you know, single parents. Oh, good. You know, parenting. So you dig in here or you help all the other single parents because you're the only one who knows what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it kind of, it, silos people. And it starts putting us into little clicks that, you know, we're the blind leading the blind. Mm. And so that cross-generational effort to really integrate people and allow people to learn from one another and encourage one another, whether that's demographically, as far as age or life stage, um, you know, different proclivities in that sense. I think that's a healthy way to go about doing it because, um, you know, and, and two, you know, some people will make broad brush statements, Michelle, about like, 
well, you know, we don't want to just talk about marriage or dating at church. We really just want to talk about the word of God. Okay. Mm. That, that is very good. <laughs> we do want to talk about the word of God at church, but the word of God is extremely holistic in how it applies to every aspect of our mm-hmm. life. And so let's not be afraid to bring those issues to the table as well. Yeah. I think it's so great too. This is where why admitting to yourself that you want to be married is so important because when you do have safe people that you are in community with and you are mentioning this to them, they give you the the ability to look at this thing from another angle, especially in like in my case, I had a mentor who was a woman who had been divorced and remarried. And so she had the ability to help me point out landmines along the way that I would have never thought about. And so here where I thought I was ready, in actuality, she got me really certain to question like, "Mm, maybe at that juncture, I really wasn't. But I think the other thing that's important about this too is people are not always going to assume that just because you're single, that you want to be set up. And so sometimes you have to tell people, no, I am single and ready to mingle, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And it's, there may be there then, you know, whether it's that they have concern, whether or not they really know if you're ready or if they just feel like that's not their place. Like it really is on us to invite people into this part of our lives. Yeah, it's so true. And I think some of this is we're bearing the brunt of maybe some of the vestiges of the bad side of the feminist movement that came out of the 60s and 70s in the sense of, you know, Obviously, you know, equality, the valuing of women, all of that stuff is great. But at the same time, we've so overemphasized this girl power message of like, Mm -hmm. I'm okay on my own. We want to do that. We want to affirm that. But at the same time, then we as single women are like, okay, I love me, you know, thanks for affirming me, but also I kind of want to be married. So, Mm -hmm. so I think it can be a both end and there's no shame in, in saying that. And that's why we need to recognize that. Yeah, you know, again, being in a relationship does not make you lesser of a person. Now, where it gets problematic is when you are solely looking for your identity in this Mm -hmm. other person. And we know that no one is going to fix you, complete you, uh, enter into your brokenness and make that, you know, go away. Uh, Healthy single people make healthy marriages. There are no shortcuts for that. And so Mm -hmm. we've got to be willing to go after the hard work on that front, but realize that also the converse of that is marriage is not just for perfect people either. Mm -hmm. You're going to marry a a broken person. And so what does it look like to really be willing to commit to sacrifice and to do the hard work to be in a relationship? And that's something we all need to be doing, whether we're single or married, you know, it's not just like single people, you just live selfishly and then married people. Now you really have to hunker down and actually think about others. No, God calls us all to serve and to love others. And that's something that it should be a fluid transition then if we, if we go into marriage. Yeah. I love that point you made about, you know, if someone does come up to us, they might be concerned that they, that we would take their uh, invitation to be set up as you're not good enough on your own or you're not strong Mm -hmm. enough on your own, or you must need somebody to help you run your life or something like that. I don't think I ever really thought about it that way. But if, if I was, if I was doing that for someone else, I might think that I might think, oh my goodness, how would she receive me trying to set her up with somebody? And I think though, on the flip side of what you're saying, you know, as far as us doing the healing work, sometimes we don't want people to know about that because we don't want them to like count us out that we don't Mm -hmm. want them to know our stuff and think like, Oh, well, they're going to think I can't handle it. So I, I just, I don't want to let anybody know, but I think that's the, actually the beautiful part is if we are walking through our stuff with people who are healthy and care and love us, that it gives them a window into just actually how much you've grown and Mm -hmm. how healthy you are, that if there are people in their lives that they would say, oh my goodness, you know what? Actually, I think you'd really enjoy getting to meet this person. But that's something I also want to dive into. Sometimes we look at these things as like, oh my goodness, if I ask to get help getting set up or if I get set up with somebody, now I have all this obligation because it's from a friend of a friend and I have to make sure that I take care of this thing. Like, How (laughs) can we bring all of that down to ground level? Yeah, well, it's it's crazy because we do need to, you know, it, it's like I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm all about being intentional in dating, 
having a game plan, defining relationships, making sure that both people are on the same page. I would even say during the course of a relationship, have several uh, stop checkpoints where you kind of have a big conversation around, do you see this moving forward? How do you feel where, you know, where things are and stuff like that? But at the same time, on, especially on the front end of a relationship, it is just a date and we need to bring back a certain amount of chill into this process because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have people that are like doing massive, I mean, they're, they're putting dates through personality tests through, you know, maybe background checks are kind of legit in this day yeah. and age, but you know, I mean, we're talking about like, they're grilling them like, like it's a Barbara Walters interview or something. I mean, it's like, just enjoy yourself. In fact, we had a blogger not too long ago at Boundless do a piece. And I think she titled it the most important question I was asked after a date. And it was an older woman in her church who, after this blogger said, you know, well, and I made sure I asked him, we got all the points of faith laid out and I made sure he had a job and that he was not afraid of commitment and all this stuff. And then the woman asked her, okay, that's great. She said, but but did you have fun? I mean, for crying out loud, you just yeah. went out for coffee. <laughs> and she was like, oh my goodness, I had never even thought of that. Like, was I having fun? Did I actually enjoy my time with this guy? And so I think we have to be willing to just say like, yes, this is not a job interview. This isn't an interrogation. This isn't you, you know, and it's a two-way street. Oftentimes we go into a date so intent upon impressing the other person, or are they going to like me? Am I going to get a second date that we're not thinking, well, how do I think about this person? You know, what's, what's my opinion of this? How, you know, is, is this my jam kind of? And so I think we need to be willing to, to think critically about that as well. And just realize that, yeah, there will be stages of a relationship where you need to start asking some hard questions, but we will never even start dating if we put so much emphasis and so much weight on the front end of making sure this is the right person. We got to have some fun in the process and get to know people. That's why I think things like coffee are great because they can be quick. They can be casual. It's just conversational, getting to know somebody. And you can spend a little bit of time on both. And I think what you're pointing to when you're saying you're talking out of both sides is that there's these really two competing aspects that are going on. There is the logical and there's the emotional. And I think all of us tend probably in one direction over the other, where we're like waiting to see how we feel and if there's all this attraction and all that, but we don't really know at the end whether or not this person is good for us. And then on the flip side, where it's like, well, they check all the boxes, but I don't really know whether or not we had a good time. <laughs> and it is, as we mature through this though, it's the blend of both. And sometimes the only way we're going to get there is practice. And so if we just recognize it's going to take a whole lot of reps, then we don't need to worry about each and every one, how it goes and what does it mean and all these kinds of things as much as we go into them, perhaps just trying to improve our ability to kind of find that fine balance. Right. And that's why I think, especially in the early stages of a relationship, we have to establish with the other person that this is very, a you know, the level of commitment at that stage is going to be low. So we need to have an easy entry and exit mentality because otherwise, you know, I have people who've been so worked up about how many questions about this person do they have answered before they even go on a first date that they're completely paralyzed and can't move forward in that because they want to know like, have I have I eliminated all possible you know incidences of this not working out or of this person me not knowing everything I need to know? Well, the fact is, and those of you you know watching who have been married or have been in uh, serious relationships, you know that you're never going to know everything you need to know about a person. There's a certain level of trust that you have to have going into this with good reasonable wisdom as well, and so we have to be willing to just say. That's the purpose of me dating this person is to find these things out. And, um, you know, I had one precious friend, a guy friend who for the longest time he was interested in this girl. Well, he was so afraid to ask her out, but he would just kind of like stalk her on social media and he kept up with her life. <laughs> he was kind of like he would sometimes sometimes weigh in with witty comments or whatever. 
Well, finally, he felt like through social and everything else he found out, he felt like he kind of knew her, you know, Mm -hmm. because this was like going on for a while. Well, finally, after like a year, he had the, he finally worked up the guts to ask her out and no joke, Michelle, she was just like, no, thanks. I'm just not interested. Well, he was devastated because he had put so much investment in that. He couldn't believe that she wouldn't say yes, but she had no context with him. He was the one that had built this relationship in his head with her. Right. And so again, and we as women can do that so easily too, where we put our hopes in this guy and we've heard about him and we've hung out with him in friend groups or whatever. And we have to realize that, man, that's where that's where our eggs have to go into God's basket because mm. only he knows he can he can match us up with anyone that he wants to. And we have to trust him in that process. I love that you just pointed to that. Only he knows. I am convinced that truly I do not know what is good for me. And I only mean that in the sense of if I go online and try to pick off a person based on all these various boxes that I think are important, I'm going to be missing some things that God wants me to focus on. And especially when we've had trauma, we've had unhealthy relationships in the past, there is this propensity to just keep repeating the wrong thing. You keep dating the same type. You keep looking for the same attributes, and they really might not be the thing that God really wants to bring into your life. And so if we're a lot more open to that, then we won't get into these situations where we are very likely investing all this emotional energy into something that we just desperately want to see work because of what it would probably fulfill within us, rather than seeing what God's purposes would be for us in our dating and our relationships, that he would surprise us by showing us something in another person that perhaps we didn't even realize that we needed, but that is such a gift to us. It absolutely is. And that's why I I want to make the point of saying to the women watching that it, it, you know, we have to remember that God is not limited in his resources. I mean, I have often thought that it's like, you know, here, here God is in heaven wringing his hands saying like, oh my goodness, I was able to find a husband for everyone in the world, except for you, Lisa, you're my toughest case. I just can't figure out anyone for you, you know? And, and it's like, that's ridiculous. I mean, God could marry me to someone I met 15 years ago. And I just don't know what Mm -hmm. his plan is and what his timing is. And Mm -hmm. I can trust his heart for good things for me. And if that's an extended, even more extended season of singleness, there's a lot for me to be about in this season. But if it is marriage, I can trust him in that as well. And I don't need to put my crazy parameters and my crazy lists and work out all these algorithms and get super angsty about it because he's just like, he's in the business of making good matches. And Mm. he wants, I mean, again, I mean, marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And it's a good thing for many people here on earth. And the other flip side of that, that I often like to tell singles is, Remember, though, we're not going to be married in heaven. So, hello, level the playing field, you know? So, it's not the be all end all. It's not like we're not going to be complete if we don't make it or if you you were married once. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, for, for the women out there who've been divorced or widowed. Goodness gracious, you know, it's not like God gave you your one chance and that mm-hmm. was it. You know, mm-hmm. God is, he's infinite in his resources and he's not in, in, uh, in not having me married, he, he's not denying me a husband in order to give someone else one. So yeah, again, yeah. the mm, reason that good. I'm single, I mean, there, there could be reasons that I'm single and I don't want to downplay that. <laughs> you know, sure. we all have things we have to work on. And if I'm some, you know, if I'm going to walk around and be bagging on men, maybe I should reevaluate that. But at the same time, it could very well be God saying, nope, it's not your time. Mm-hmm. And he's a good father. So he's not going to give us something that would not be good for us. And he's not going to give us something good at the wrong time when we can't fully appreciate it. And I love, though, that you called out that fact that it doesn't mean that you had your one shot and you're done. It doesn't mean that he is punishing you. This singleness allows us to have such a beautiful depth of relationship with the Lord. And that's not a small thing. When we think about the challenges that we have in this life, especially raising kids on our own, 
to have a closeness with the Lord and for a, a walk with the Holy Spirit strengthening us, like that is something that bolsters us. It's really what we need. And it doesn't mean that he might not also bring a person into our families to walk life with us, but he wants to make sure that we have the right foundation if, he, if that is what he has planned for us. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. So Lisa, I think though correcting some of our missteps in the past or perhaps even some concepts in our mind that we don't have quite aligned scripturally is important also. And in your book, you mention quite a lot about men and women and the roles that men and women may differently play. And I think it's important because as you said before, we live in a society where some of this has shifted a little bit as far as what is the role of men? What is the role of women? Is there a role for men? Is there a role for women? What do you see as issues when it comes to what men do in dating, what women do in dating, and when we swap those? Yeah. And I want to start out by saying, I'm, I don't want to give anything super prescriptive here because beyond what is mentioned in scripture, and we can see it, you know, in first and second Corinthians, we can see it in Ephesians where God has talked about men and women. And we obviously know that all men and women are entirely equal in worth in God's sight. But I feel like, you know, and it's funny because we kind of work at cross purposes when we date because so many women will say, like, oh, I just want a guy who's like willing to step up and who's willing to lead and stuff. But then the minute there's any opportunity for something, a decision to be made, we women are like, oh, no, I got this one. Let me just take, <laughs> you know, it's like we're always grasping for control, it seems. And so I just say that practically speaking, and so this isn't like, I'm not going to say women absolutely never ask a guy out. Women absolutely never take the lead on planning a date. No, I mean, there are many nuances there. But in general, if you are allowing a guy, if you're creating a space, a void for a man to step up and lead, he will be challenged and in some cases will be prompted to take that role and be willing to do it. So I always say to ladies, you know, um, if, if you can't even get a guy now to choose pizza toppings, um, yet you think you're going to marry him and he's going to lead you and lead your family, you're kind of setting yourself up. So you need to be, and again, it's not like us badgering men and telling them what they need to do. Um, I like to say, you know, biblically speaking, I think it's generally the man's place to initiate and a woman's place to respond. And again, there's some nuances there. There's some differing situations as far as that plays out. But um, but I think it's great when we allow men to have the space within their giftings, within their personalities, within what God has called them to do, to be that person who can take that initiative. And oftentimes, we just have to provide that void. Like, for example... Mm -hmm. And this isn't even a dating example. This was, I was at part of a large singles group in a church for a while. Well, the group eventually imploded because by and large, the women were running the group. Now, was it all the women's fault that we were running the group? No, because the guys were just kind of sitting back, <laughs> letting us do it. But the fact is, we were so busy taking over everything because we were control freaks that the guys were just like, well, this is awesome. They're planning all this stuff and they just cook food for us and they do all this awesome stuff. So what's there left for us to do? Well, we finally decided, well, we're not going to put up with this anymore. So we backed off and we created the space. And there were a couple guys kind of tried to step in the space. Other guys didn't. And so... 
long story short, the unhealthiness of the group was exposed and the group ended up just folding. And so I think that's what you don't want to happen in a dating relationship where you see that one person, you know, women, we're, we're, we tend to want to have our ducks in a row. We want to be in control. We want to know what's going on. But sometimes we have to be comfortable in just letting that ambiguity sit a little bit and rest in that. Um, because, you know, if you date a passive guy, you're probably going to marry a passive guy. You don't just, a lot of women will say it's cool because once we get married, this will change. No, it won't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It won't change. Mm -hmm. So you got to be ready for that. Yes. I love this idea too about leaving a void because I think it's a great way to measure really how invested somebody is. So even like regardless of the whole, you know, conversation about men and women and who leads and all that kind of stuff, even from a just a safety perspective and really being able to measure, is this person as invested as I think they are? If we leave that little bit of room, and I even think about that's room for the Lord to work. So that's room mm-hmm. for us to see, is God going to prompt this person or prompt me to see something that maybe I'm not seeing right now? Maybe my emotions are clouding this somewhat. If I'm yeah. really starting to invest and as I notice like, hey, this gap is is there and I want to fill it, what happens if I allow that gap to be there? And I think, though, this is critical, especially if you've been in unhealthy relationships before, because a lot of times that discomfort, as you pointed out, is the thing that pushes us more towards somebody who is decreasing their level of investment. and. Yeah. As mothers, as women, that puts us in an extremely vulnerable situation that typically is not the case if the tables are turned. So for us as women and mothers, for us to leave that space is so important to then really see how invested that a man would be in us and our families. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. we're playing cat and mouse. It doesn't mean we're playing the chase me game or anything like that. But it is that sense of when you have that discomfort, are you able to allow that to be a space that the Lord can work and show you what he really wants you to see. Well, and that's where, and just you saying that, Michelle, makes me think of like how we also need to trust the Holy Spirit in the guy's life. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we're, we're talking about trusting him in our life and in our own decisions, but trust that God's working in him too. Because yeah. again, if God's calling him to pursue you, then he's either going to be obedient or disobedient in that. Okay. And so, I mean, this is where a little smidge of wisdom from the movie, he's just not that into you could come into play because (laughs) again, if a guy knows that you're the one to pursue, he's going to make that clear and God's going to work with him in that. And so we've got to be willing to, you know, too often we try to force things Mm -hmm. that really, you know, we're, we're the only ones on this side trying to make it happen. And God and the guy are like, no, this is not, this isn't it. And so, Mm -hmm. but I did want to caution too, on the flip side of that, I want to caution women not to confuse spiritual leadership with personality preferences. Mm -hmm. So um, I had a really dear friend, of mine who, as she was dating this guy, she had this vision in her head because she went to a pretty, you know, a a larger church, solid church, you know, and and she just had this vision in her head that the guy that she married, he was going to like, they would have children and her husband would like gather them all around the fire with a guitar and sing worship songs and lead them all in family devotions and stuff like that. And that was just her guy in her head. Well, then she falls in love with a guy from church who's like an engineer, super introverted, doesn't play the guitar. But you know what? This guy loves Jesus. And she decided she was very upset about this at first because she actually had a conversation with him about like, okay, but what about like family devotions? And like, what are you going to come up with fun, like illustrations for our kids? And he's just like, I'm not sure I know where you're going with this. And they have a great marriage now. And it's just, you know, it, it worked out. And it was just, she had to set aside the difference between preferences and what are absolute non-negotiables in a relationship and in a person who truly is following hard after the Lord. That's really good because everybody brings their own contribution from their Absolutely. experiences and their personality and all those types of things. And we want we want the Lord to show us unique things through the the giftings that he's brought into another person. If we go in there with some preconceived notions and we're kind of ripping ourselves off from the experience that we could have. Yep. Lisa, as far as expanding our social circles, you know, we talk about, okay, if women are more or less going to be responding 
you know, and we talk about what are we doing in this waiting period of time? And we want to talk about meeting more people and getting this team put together. And, you know, just how do we expand our reach? And, you know, some of these things that we've talked about already in the conversation, what do you think we need to keep our eyes on? Yeah, I think um, the first couple of things we already talked about, and I think they're paramount, get your team around you, get other people to start looking at potential matches in your circles of influence, your circles, your social circles at church and beyond. People who know people who know people who know people are going to be your best bet. And again, then you also have kind of that covering of, I know this person and I know this is a quality person and I think you guys would be a good match. So that's number one. And again, that stating your desire for marriage is a great part of that. And so that's super important. I also think that getting out of your normal habits and routines is going to help you as well. So ladies, if you go you know, from work to the gym, to your women's Bible study, to your girls group of hanging on the weekend, you know, again, you could see the potential for meeting men in that kind of constant steady uh, schedule is probably not going to work to your benefit. So sometimes you might have to mix it up a little bit. You might have to go out of your way. And I, in this, you know, it, it runs the gamut. Maybe that means like taking a class. Maybe it means uh, joining a different small group or trying something new or taking that party invitation. All of you introverts who are just like, if I go to one more party, I'm not even going to be able to deal with it. But just extending yourself in that uh, could be helpful as well. And also, you know, in, in light of that, being willing uh, to be the person who's an inviter, the person who maybe creates something that is a, a safe space for people to get to know one another is a good opportunity to meet others uh, in that space as well. And then I also, I, I don't want to rule out, you know, we could talk about this too. I don't want to rule out online dating because I think that in today's day and age with such a transient culture, so many of us moving to new states, new cities for work or whatever, um, online dating can be, and apps can be a great tool, but they are only a tool. And in fact, I would like to rescript it and just call it online meeting because that's what it is. Mm. I mean, if you are just incessantly talking to a person online in ongoing conversations and you have not yet met in person, you don't have a date, you have a pen pal. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> unless you want a long-term <laughs> pen pal relationship, no, thank you, you. <laughs> to take this thing into real time and real space. And so that's why I say, Close in those parameters to a reasonable distance of what you're willing and able to travel. Um, so that's probably, you know, for a lot of people, that's maybe like 100 miles if they want to do something consistently or even less. If you're in a bigger city, that would be great. But um, and then you have to approach online uh, dating with just as much intentionality as regular dating. You move it past the written word. You actually meet in person. You set up parameters for that. So that's a good um, opportunity, you know, in some ways to make that happen as well. So I think anything you can do that's going to just expand your circles, give you a little bit of an opportunity to, to meet people, to put yourself out there, I think that'll just help you in the long run. Lisa, what is the role of our team when it comes to online dating? Because I think a lot of times where we get into trouble, and I mentioned as far as like how we select, sometimes we're doing this on our own and we're not necessarily doing what's in our own best interest. But there's some other aspects of this that having a team around us can help us avoid some of the other pitfalls of online dating. Yeah. And I think the team is valuable, whether you're dating online or in person. And here's what they need to do, because you know, you've seen this, you've probably done this. I know I have. It's like all of a sudden you're into someone and you start pulling back from your other relationships. Mm -hmm. It's like now you're just gazing into this guy's eyes and you're just all you need is him. And the rest of the world is like, well, they can, you know, wait for when I wake up from this, whatever. Mm -hmm. But so, so what we need to do is we have to get the team like for online, for example, one great way um, to, to involve your team is to bring them in when you're creating your profile. Have them keep you honest. Have them make sure that you are not like painting some ridiculously um, unnatural or not realistic picture of yourself in your profile. I love when people do profiles, whether it's an online uh, site or whether it's an app, I put it all out there as far as my faith. Because I'm like, I do not need posers. I don't need weird pseudo relationships. I don't need to spend 
the majority of my time online witnessing to guys who don't know Jesus. And I mm-hmm. certainly don't need to pay $40 a month to do that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I just put it out there and I, and I stick to my parameters of who I'm going to talk to. And, you know, I just, I keep it very narrow in that sense. And so the team helps kind of keep you honest in that. Now, I remember I had one friend who uh, she had was getting all these matches online and stuff. And one of her coworkers, a guy, he said she was just overwhelmed. She had all these guys and she was just a, a soft heart. So she couldn't rule any of them out. And he's like, yeah, let me help you with this. And he went through <laughs> and in like 15 minutes, it eliminated like three quarters of the guy. He, guys, he's like, this one's not even for real. This mm. one looks like a jerk. This one. And just guys, no guys, you know, so yeah. some older guys, some married guys can maybe jump into your space and help you with that. Um, but then really, Michelle, where they're going to come into play is as your community and as you are going deeper, as you move that into real time and real space, then they need the pe- they need to be the people who are not only the prayer warriors, the encouragers, the sounding boards, but they're also going to be your accountability in this relationship. And I often say, uh, in fact, this is probably one of my more unpopular opinions, and I mention it in my in the dating manifesto. Uh, you need to pick as part of your team three people who they're going to be people that love Jesus, love you, have their heads on straight and are willing to speak the truth. So you need truth tellers here, because if all three of them agree that the guy you're dating is a jerk, you cut it off. No questions asked. And this is where I come into play with the whole, we don't have the objectivity that we think we have. And Mm -hmm. so we need people to tell us what's what when we're getting caught up in making excuses and ignoring red flags. So those people need to be legit in really being willing to speak into your life and say, absolutely not. You're wasting your time. You're going to be setting yourself up for heartache. And so uh, that's a a fair amount of power to give to a little trio of three, but it's been worth it for me. You know, I think this is so important too. You mentioned earlier something about having a scarcity mentality and feeling like there's not enough. And I think sometimes that is where some of this keeping things to ourselves, not really exposing what it is, making excuses comes from because we have this sense perhaps that this might be all there is. And Mm -hmm. so let me hold on to this. Let me massage it. Let me, let me just, you know, walk with it for a little while. Maybe it'll be better than I think it is. And I think if we have other people around us who are speaking truth not only can they help us know that that's not true, that's not the truth, but that we can understand, no, there's more. You want to weed out these ones. It's going to take you some time. It's going to take you some waiting and some investment, but it'll be worth it. Because if you settle, you're going to ultimately be in a world of hurt and disappointment and pain. And many of us have already been there. And that if we would just approach this more so with, no, I actually want to be selective. I want to weed some things out that if I go into that with the sense that there's more though, and that this will just be something that I'm going to work at over a longer period of time, then we might find that we have a better experience. And I think overall, there's an acceptance of the waiting process that happens here where we realize that in the waiting, there's a becoming that's happening. And we become stronger with our boundaries. We become better at our ability to express ourselves, what's okay with us, what's not okay with us. We grow in community with people. We grow in our relationship with the Lord. So there's so much to be gained in this waiting process. But sometimes that end goal is really appealing and we want to skip all of these steps. But ultimately, if we embrace that waiting, we get not only a positive experience in the process, but whatever the outcome would be that the Lord would have for us, we get that too. And we get that, that richness. Well, it's so true. And this is why, you know, when I talk to women and I see, because, because that's for real. I mean, the fact is time marches on and you're going to experience losses in your singleness and in your dating experiences. So for example, I remember the day when I turned 30 and I had to reckon with myself that I would never be married in my twenties. That was a loss that I had to grieve. And that was a, you know, the the reality, my dad died uh, my 30th year. And so then I had to walk through that grief of like, my dad will never be at my wedding. And so there are very real losses in dating and in walking through singleness, uh, being single again, 
And we have to acknowledge those and be willing to grieve them. And I, I think too often we, again, in trying to take control, I, I see women fall into two traps in this. One is being willing to settle for what I call the friendlationship. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a fake relationship with a guy where you're more attached to him than he is to you. He thinks you're just friends because that's all you've established. And you know, you're hoping for something more. You're hoping for this, I'm gonna wake up one day and it's gonna be a when Harry met Sally or whatever, of like, oh my goodness, my best friend's right in front of me. Well, I had a friend, Michelle, who did this for seven years with a guy most of her 20s into her 30s. And she actually had to break up with this guy from a non-relationship. And he was like, what? We were just friends. Well, the amount of connection they had was so huge. I mean, they had each other's Mm -hmm. ringtones. They knew their favorite Starbucks drinks. They knew they were way in each other's business. They would have long phone calls at night together. I mean, and she was heartbroken. It was like she had actually walked through a divorce. It mm-hmm. took her two years to get over that guy. Yeah. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin that I always want to caution women against is this is why many women get into uh, fall prey to cohabiting relationships, mm-hmm. because what they're willing to do is sit in something that's not good in the hopes that it's going to become better. And so it's allowing too much connection without the commitment in a sense of, you know, we see you take faith out of this. Like, let's not even put Jesus in this equation, just sociological um, marker points in alone. We find that people who are in cohabiting relationships have higher rates of domestic violence. The men do not contribute nearly as much around the home, whether that's uh, domestic chores, whatever that go, you know, emotional investment in the lives of the people they're living with. Um, there are a lot of things. If the if the relationship moves towards marriage, which is actually um, a very low percentage of them do, I mean, a much smaller percentage than those who, who don't cohabit, um, the divorce rates are much higher. But then also, I think what's so sad for women, and this is probably one of the biggest indicators, is that women will stay in these relationships. It keeps them in bad relationships longer because they just feel like I don't have the energy to get out of it. Because you think like all of a sudden you're maybe you're sharing at least a rent, possibly a mortgage with this guy. You're probably sharing a dog at this point. Eventually you may share a child and it's just like, I guess I'd rather just stay put and wait it out and hope that this guy's going to commit. Well, the chances of him committing at this point are very low, and the the relational health is going to be generally low based on statistics. And so this is where I say, ladies, this is absolutely on those two scenarios where we have to trust God and say, you know, we're all going to settle for a sinner. We're all sinners. Mm -hmm. We're going to, everyone settles in some way, you know, you're not going to marry someone perfect, but no one has to settle for a mess. No one settles Mm -hmm. for a mess. Hmm. I think that's so important. As I said, I said again, you know, for those of us who are going through these things, our kids are with us, that hmm. this dating process, we can't separate out our life from our kids' lives and our desires and preferences from our kids' well-being. And the more we get attached to somebody, the more they may become attached to somebody. And for many of us, we've already had significant traumas in our lives. Our kids have had significant traumas in our lives. And so if we are much slower on the front end and have lots of boundaries and lots of space, mm-hmm. someone who is healthy will understand our stories. They will walk through that with us. Someone who is unhealthy will see it as an opportunity to take advantage of someone who is warm-hearted and in need of compassion. And so I think we just need to always have our eyes on the fact that the slower we are and the more intentional we are about setting boundaries for people who are not going to be a healthy, godly match, those will be unattractive and that's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. for us to lose that kind of quote unquote connection because that's not truly what we were designed for when it comes to God's design for men and women to be in relationships together. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, that's why I say uh, when I talk to my audience, I always say the number one thing that I want to convey to you is an understanding of your identity in Christ. If you don't know who God is and who God says you are, everything else I have to share is just tips and tactics. I mean, you have to be grounded in getting your sense of worth and purpose from Jesus Christ himself. Then 
you can serve alongside someone for this temporal time on earth, you know, and, and go for it and be, be a team, you know, in that sense. And that's wonderful. But, uh, but if you're looking for that person that is going to rescue you from whatever current situation or past situation, no one can fill that role. No one can be that person or be that guarantee uh, to meet all your needs. And so, We've got to find that in God alone. And then out of the overflow of that, we can pour into another person. Absolutely. And I will say, and I know that you're transparent about this too, some of how these lessons are learned is the hard way. And I just so appreciate though that you share that, you know, some of this comes from the things that I haven't done well. And I just want to say clearly as well, there were things that because I didn't have a solid identity in Christ that I ran towards that were not good for me. And the Lord was still so good to block those off and yank me out of those situations so that I would turn back around and see him. So even in trying these things and in making mistakes and in having bumps and ups and downs, the Lord is so compassionate. He's so tender towards us. And he is walking us through these things that ultimately we'd have a greater sense of ourselves in relationship to him that would then get to pour out into the lives of other people. And then the mistakes we get to sit on a podcast and (laughs) share about the things we learned the hard way. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, it's funny because I was actually dumped twice, Michelle, on Christmas Eve, believe it or not. That's awful. Both times by email. Um, Both of those guys apparently didn't care that they ruined my Christmas. But looking back, I'm like, what a blessing. I mean, both of those relationships were ones that I had to get out of. And and again, I was telling myself, and these were Christian guys. So it's not like, oh, I mean, you can be in bad relationships with Christian guys, you know, so Mm -hmm. let's not fool ourselves. Um, But I just remember thinking it through and being like, wow, you know, what, what God has saved me from, including myself, because my whole, my -hmm. whole modality in that was, I just thought that we could, we'll just talk it through. Let's talk through all our problems. Let's patch this up. I'm like, I have a communications degree. I should Mm -hmm. be able to communicate what, you know, and, and just there are levels of unhealth that you have to, it just, it's not fixable in that sense. And so that's why I'm so passionate about helping women understand on the front end before they move to marriage, you know, or marriage again or whatever, Mm -hmm. like, let's find this out. Let's trust God in the midst of this, get the answers that we need to know and really release control of it into his hands. Mm. So good. Lisa, I so appreciate all of your insights and your wisdom. Before I end the conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Hmm. I think I I think I would want all of you single moms listening to know that again a little bit of what we've talked about already that in God's economy you are not defined by your relationship status you're not defined by brokenness in your past or present you are not I mean again God is is so intent upon working in and through us for our good and for his glory alone. I mean, this is a story that's so much bigger than us and and we're so tempted to make it about us and to think that in all the turns and twists and failures and stuff that somehow we've gotten off track, but but God is so much bigger than that. And, and just the whole concept of trusting God, I often like to tell women, you know, we're all trusting God with something. So many of us think like, well, if I could just get married or if I could get married again, you know, then I, I would be on a better path. But the fact is, you don't know. I mean, you might get married again and you might have your kids and you might face financial hardship, or maybe you're going to face a season of infertility, or maybe you're going to, you know, I mean, it's just, we're all trusting God with something. Most of multiple things at once, um, you know, health issues, stuff like that, that's going to crop up. And so my encouragement to you is to know that God has perfectly created you. He has perfectly loved you. He has big plans for you. And I'm just so grateful that we have great moms out there who are doing what God has called them to do in the season that they're in. I mean, you're raising a generation. You're just doing amazing work. And God is taking, let let God in, in, 
his turn, take care of your heart and take Mm -hmm. care of your future. Mm, I love that you said that. I think sometimes in raising our kids, we don't think that we're raising up a new generation and we don't necessarily think that that's such a great big thing, but it really is. So thank you for mentioning that. Lisa, would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow along with you? Absolutely. Well, we're at boundless.org, um, which is uh, we're the kind of the young adult ministry of focus on the family. But, you know, hey, I'm not a young adult, so there's room for all of us there um, if you consider yourself young. Um, but at boundless.org, we publish articles, we have a group blog, we have all of our social media channels. And then I host a weekly show as well called The Boundless Show, which is on our site as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you find podcasts. And we're really just a community of folks who maybe, as we've talked, Michelle, have felt a little bit left out by the church or maybe mm-hmm. feel like, oh, where's my tribe? You know, mm-hmm. who can I talk to about just walking through life in the unique situations I'm in? And so we like to root for folks and give some advice here and there, but mostly be an arm around your shoulder to say, you can do this, um, you know, find that community right where you are. You got to have real people looking you in the face, you know, you can't just rely on uh, digital support, but at the same time, um, when you avail yourself of it all, it's kind of a great opportunity to, to get the resources that you need and want in all of that space. Yes. And I'll include a link in the show notes for listeners, but thank you so much for joining me. It was such a great time talking to you today. Wonderful talking to you, Michelle. If you enjoyed this conversation with Lisa, I've got a couple of others that you might like as well. Check out episode 89, Meeting Your Match, How to Know What You're Looking For and Date in Ways to Find It with Dr. Christy Kadarian. Also, have a listen to episode 87, Dating to Blend, Choices You Can Make Today to Nurture Your Future Family with Ron Deal. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, beloved collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.